0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chadwick. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes counselor and educator Dorothy Darapelian to the show for part one of their two-part conversation on her core attachment therapy, which she developed. Part two will be released on Tuesday, July 20th.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you from here at Chaddock, and I'm just thrilled to introduce the guest I'm going to be interviewing today. So let me tell you a little bit about her. I will be speaking with Dorothy Darapelian, who actually developed a way of working with children called core attachment therapy. So Dorothy is an experienced mental health counselor, educator, and has been in private practice for over 30 years in Meredith, New Hampshire, and a New Englander. She specializes in attachment and play therapy, and she teaches at Granite State College. She also conducts home studies for child and family services, and that involves families who are interested in both domestic and international adoption. And she's also a certified advanced trainer in the nurtured heart approach. So you will find as we speak with her that the nurtured heart approach is an integral part of her core attachment therapy. She also received the international peace prize from the United cultural center in 2005. And she happens to be an adoptive parent herself. So coming right up, I believe you will really enjoy my discussion with Dorothy. Well, hello everybody. I am here with Dorothy Daripelia and Dorothy, thank you so much for being a guest on the attachment theory and action podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so I shared a bit with our listeners about your education and training and what I like to refer to as one's formal biography. Could you share with listeners, uh, is there any informal biography or, or any personal story you'd like to share about how you got on this journey with attachment?
2: Well, I started out as, um, well, my professional journey was that of a special educator. Yes. And as I was working my way, working with multiply handicapped children, I really realized it's more important for them to have a better sense of who they are rather than learning how to read and write. So I went and got my master's in counseling. Okay. And as I um, worked with children with trauma and, of course, children with who were in the foster an adoptive arena, so to speak. I was realizing that what we knew back then in the 80s was um, not what I was feeling was helping them move through their trauma. So I was doing a lot of research and reading and experimenting, so to speak. And then along the way, I became an adoptive parent. I adopted my my little girl at the time was six from uh, Russia. And now she's 32 and very, very successful. So my journey here is both as a parent and as a therapist. And I learned so much from every client that came my way and every family that came my way. And mostly, of course, from that little girl, I have the honor of parenting and raising.
1: Oh, wonderful. That's so good. I always feel also that when people... Become therapists with an education background. They have a special advantage in knowing how to sometimes write about and communicate concepts. Um, so um, that that's really helpful, and and uh, we'll explain that more when we get into the approach that you developed called core attachment therapy. Is there anything like right out of the shoot you want to say about the model before we delve further into the components of it? Well, the model is based on
2: following the the natural developmental process of attachment development, and it took years to hone. and I'm just finding it. it's a simple approach. I've written it so that any play therapist could pick up the book, read it, and run with it. And those who have had it, they are so impressed with the progress they see in their in their children in such a short amount of time because a part of the, the process is not only the attachment games what we call the mommy daddy games but also the nurtured heart approach which is a relationship based model that promotes the well-being of children and and of course it's a win-win for parents and children
1: yeah so one thing that won me over right away <laughs> Um, with your ideas was when you shared that there doesn't seem to be a comprehensive way of dealing with children with attachment difficulties and that very few children actually have reactive attachment disorder. I thought, oh, I'm really glad you're recognizing that and (laughs) saying that. Um, So I very much appreciated that. Thank you for that. We we won't get into the controversy surrounding that, but I would certainly um, appreciate you pointing that out. Yes. Um, Yeah. So. The way, I, as, you, as you're saying, as you as
2: you pointed out, it's um, we are human beings. We have a limbic system. We are primed for attachment. Yes. We hone our attachment development based on having an emotionally responsive parent. Yes. To promote that self regulation and healthy and secure attachment. Mm-hmm
1: yes yeah, so my understanding in terms of reading your books and i do want to point out to people that you actually have three books you have yes. the four attachment therapy book which is meant for therapists to read and then Correct. you have a companion book for parents and then you have like a picture storybook for children so for young children yes yeah so you have a uh Three resources around your uh, core attachment therapy model. So, And a fourth book is in the works. Oh, tell us. Tell it us about is, that. Uh, it's for, um, well,
2: actually five. <laughs> the fourth one is um, a chapter book for school-age children okay. on their attachment th- journey describing what it's like to not be with your bio parents, which is um, what my daughter will be writing that part of the book. And then other part of that chapter would be the parent's point of view. So we're making it a progression from the child's point of view and the pa- parent's point of view in a chapter book.
1: Oh, wonderful!
2: Because you know how school-age kids get so excited when they read a chapter book.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that's wonderful. Yes. So, so from what I have read, um, the your approach is based. On Well, you're combining several things. I know it's your approach, but you, you share in the background of it, your exposure to developmental play therapy by Viola Brody. And then you talk about, as we've already mentioned, the nurtured heart approach. And then it also sounds like you do have some traditional play therapy involved at the end of some of the sessions? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, yes, yes. So, well, when I saw some of the activities initially, because I'm a therapy yes. therapist and trainer, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this this sounds so similar to some of the things that we do in therapy." And then, of course, when I saw developmental play therapy, I immediately understood some of mm-hmm. some of the overlap. So a lot you, of overlap, correct? Yes, yeah. So could you share with listeners a little bit about how you're combining those three different things?
2: Well, as, as we know, attachment development is starts at birth and it ends around three, when you go from the artistic phase to the separation phase of attachment to the individuation phase of attachment. So knowing that, I was feeling that to help children move successfully through that whole process, it needs to be developmental, just like attachment is. So looking at Viola Brody's work, um, um, Play and all of these things that we already have out there that fosters all of this, um, how can we use what's out there and tweak it so that it matches the attachment development? So that's why I kind of looked at all the games, looked at Viola Brody's work, looked at therapeutic play therapy and all of this, and TheraPlay, and put these games in a sequence that matches attachment development. And as I was working through that, and then along came the nurture heart approach. And what I appreciate about the nurture heart approach, it takes the chaos out of the home. And we know with children who have attachment disruption, the home is chaotic. And they work very hard to get the house on their terms because it's they're matching their outside world with their inner world. And because they don't have that internal sense of trust, they have to be in charge because they don't trust that their parent is not going to leave unless they're in charge or in, in control of all of them. So I, that's when I said, wait a minute, why not I combine the nurture heart approach with these attachment games? And when I put those together, I went, bam, this is it. And it works so beautifully. It gives the parents a, a structure. It gives the children that predictability and the repetition that we know elicits um, safety and security and trust.
1: Yes. So let's, pick apart some of these elements a little bit more. So one of the questions I had in my mind with the Mm -hmm. developmental play therapy part of the model was I have not studied developmental play therapy, but I do know therapy very well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I had heard over the years was one of the ways that TheraPlay was different from developmental play therapy was that TheraPlay although I don't necessarily agree with this description is more prescriptive than Viola Brody's model was. And I would say we have a plan, but we're fully attuned to what's happening and adapt that. But that was the argument that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I don't really know if it's right, but I, I was told that that one was more prescriptive and Viola Brody's original model was not that prescriptive. And, and maybe even that she didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's like just some myth or if that's true, but the reason I bring it up, and you would, you'll would, you probably know since you have to, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: look, studied that model, your approach is quite prescriptive. Like Very you're prescriptive. Saying, you do this this week, you do this the next, this is the activity you do the next week, and, and you have shared with listeners that's because of your thoughts about the developmental progression of attachment. What do you have to say about, because there's also in the greater play therapy community much uh what should we say um controversy around how prescriptive an approach should be so right and that's what... whatever you want to say about all that <laughs> i don't do even know thank what you <laughs>
2: <is>. <laughs> thank you karen <laughs> No, with the other part is the when we do the mommy daddy games we call them um it takes just like week 1 is only one game with the warm up the warm-up, which is the lullaby and the feeding and drinking, and then we have the game, and then we have the wrap-up, which is the, where the nurtured heart approach comes in. It's the greatness stories. And as we know, what um, children love to hear stories about themselves when they were little. Children who were older and adoptive, they don't have those little stories. So what I've chosen to do is that first game, which replicates being born, um, is when they first met each other. Okay. Tell us a story about what made you fall in love at that moment. Uh-huh. So that slowly starts weaving the child's experience into the family fabric, if you will. Okay. And then then we have 40 minutes left.
1: <laughs> okay. So what I hear you really emphasizing so then- here is that... Because I'm coming from the perspective of a therapy practitioner where where our whole session is filled with these activities. You're wanting to emphasize for listeners that you have some similar activities, but that's one small though important component of the overall session with the parent and child, correct? Correct. Okay, all right. So then, not to just
2: fill up the time, but children are going to experience these games at a very, when you could see them just kind of get cuddled in and yes. they get to that place developmentally. Yeah. So then we have the rest of the time with the child centered plates therapy. Okay. So then the child is in charge of what needs to happen because they're ex- re-experiencing it emotionally and it needs to be dealt with on an emotional way. So I have the parent and child go into my play therapy room and I monitor and the parent and child play. And when the trauma starts surfacing, I help the parent learn how to respond in a nurturing therapeutic way.
1: So So what would you call that part of the session? So you have the activities, which you say
2: Daddy, games. Whoever yeah. is the, the yeah. So,
1: charges. so this other part of the session where you have the parent in the play therapy room with the child, because a lot of people that do child centered play therapy would not have the parent in the room
2: while the parent is in the room because they're still working on the relationship. Uh And for the child to learn to use the parent as a source of comfort. Uh So as the trauma emerges, then I will go in and play therapy room with them and help them navigate through that so that the parent is responding in a therapeutic way. And the child sees the parent as the source of income while simultaneously the trauma is being resolved.
1: And so when you're doing this other part of the session at the beginning with the parent-child activities, that's not—that's in a different space. That's not in the Yes, yeah, so I have a, my, my main office here has a nice couch for the parent and
2: child. And then I sit apart from them. So I'm just like the director, so to speak, of the games, and I sit back and let it evolve. Yes, yeah. And then um, if the child's having difficulty, I'll coach the parent and the child is, let's see how we can move through this smoothly, or we'll just try again next week, depending on the emotional reaction of the child, and then we go to the play therapy room where the child is in charge,
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: we go from there.
1: Yes. Would you like to talk about, you know, the progression of the activities? Um, Because I thought that was quite interesting how you're seeking to match them with different uh, developmental phases.
2: Thank you, Karen. Yes, Um, there's three basic components in attachment development. And the first one is called autistic, where the child does not have a separate sense of self from the parent. So all of those games are done in what I call the loving cradle position, where the parent actually holds the child as if he or she was an infant. Now, with the older children who are too big for that or really don't want that to happen. Sometimes the big kids do want that to happen. Yes. And we let the child's comfort dictate how we do that. Yes. So very important point. Yes. Very important. We never force. It's never about forcing the child to do anything because we're trying to establish a sense of vulnerability and trust. We, you can't be vulnerable if you don't trust. But we And forcing a child to do this doesn't foster that sense of trust. So if it's an older child, we have the child sit on the parent's left side and the parent puts his or her arm around the child because of that whole orbital frontal cortex and the, you know, the gateway to the limbic system for attachment is that right eye and right eye. No left eye to left eye to that right right, over the frontal context. That's why we do the loving cradle position. Yeah, There's a lot of big words. Loving cradle position during phase one, which is the autistic phase. Then in between each phase of attachment development, I have a transition game because that transition game eases the child into the next phase. So we have the loving cradle position for phase one, then the transition game is um, where the child lays across the lap of the parent and the parent's not cradling the child and it's counting the spots. So she's, he or she is looking at freckles and bruises and (laughs) scars all over the face, arms, legs while the child is laying across them. Yes. Then phase two, which is that separation phase where the child is starting to get a sense of separation that I am my own person. It's child and parent are sitting facing each other. Yes. And so then the game goes back and forth like that. Uh Then the transition game to the third phase is where the child is not facing the parent at all. And they're, um, the child still has contact with the parent sitting on his or her lap, so then for it that eases into the final phase of attachment development, which is individuation, where the child knows that he or she is separate from the parent. So those games are done completely unattached, mm
1: hmm, mm hmm, and um you do use a mirror for some of these um, which I found interesting and um you know we use a mirror in therapy for for some different things um however what I thought was unique to your approach and I I listened to another interview where this was also pointed out was um when you do something like with the with the caregiver behind the child, you have them looking in this mirror. So the child, because that's always, I mean, sometimes being behind the child could be a good thing. If the child's like really struggling with the intensity of eye contact or whatever. But if, if there are, if it's workable to, to do that, that's sort of a way of the parent being behind the child, but they still get to watch themselves. Yes. Yeah. So that's quite interesting and creative. Yes. I think. And then um, the final and i
2: had it just that way for years and it just felt unfinished Mm -hmm. i kept saying i've got to do more with this there's something not done yet so for a while i experimented with that last when we were finished with the attachment games that the next session was with the child deciding what game comes first what game comes second what game comes first. and i played around with doing it that way for a while and um To me, it then took away the purpose of the games, which is the purpose of the games is to have the parent in charge, because Mm -hmm. parents need to be in charge for the children to feel that secure attachment. So I said, well, that's that's not what that's not how we need to wrap this up. So then (laughs) I had one little boy who um, went through this process with his mom and he came running in one day and he picked up his shirt and he said mom i want you to write on my back all the names of the people who love me and i went oh wait a minute that might be it that day that night one of my colleagues tammy van hollander who was big in the play therapy arena posted that she's going to janet courtney's first play training yes. where she does these backstories. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is all happening simultaneously. That is the conclusion of this process, which is called, the finale is called Your Family Has Your Back. Mm-hmm. So what happens in this final phase is, as you know, with attachment development, then when the child goes off into the world and becomes his or whole self in this community. So as being a part of the family. So I thought that's the way to complete this is you've individuated. Now let's see how you've been woven into the family, which is the backstory.
1: Right. So um, there's several metaphors going on. All it was here, you know, the backstory, we all know the importance of one's backstory. Um, Then you have the actual, the family, has your back as a in a way of protection or safety that of course we talk about in attachment theory Mm -hmm. and then there's the actual concrete aspect that you're writing or drawing these things on the child's back so and i love the part of this that a child came up with a significant part of the idea isn't it just Mm -hmm. amazing it is sometimes what the children come up with give what what they need you know Mm -hmm. and and, um show us and it's just so fabulous
2: yes and that too is done in front of the mirror
1: um and um talk with tammy
2: she says she, she hasn't been doing in front of the mirror but hearing how i do it she's starting to do it in front of the mirror and uh The beauty of it is when you watch the child hear how he or she is now so integrated in the family with this backstory, it's an organic story that percolates through the parent's heart to the child's back, so to speak, which then goes into the child's heart and to watch their face. And watch them integrate this story, I it's it just brings tears to your eyes. And wow. it's like they're being downloaded with these <laughs> messages. It's it's been a beautiful process. Absolutely beautiful to so yeah. watch.
1: Because it's part of the coherent narrative, that that autobiographical yeah. narrative that mm-hmm. we know is so important to build. And I'm I'm recognizing we're we're close to ending our con- our first part of our conversation, our part one. But but before we end today's conversation, I do want to ask you, just to help illuminate this for listeners, could you share maybe an example a case composite? We don't want you to share any any identifying information or anything like that of some lines from a backstory like what 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 kind of things are said you're describing that you know it's really wonderful and beautiful and and watching um the expressions could you just to give the listeners an idea about how long this story is and maybe some things that are said
2: it all depends on the parent and and child and if i have both parents in the session or or just one of them uh, because again it's from the parent's heart to yeah. how they've they've become a family because of the child and what the child has brought to them so it's really you know, some parents are very eloquent and they really get into it. And they're very soft-spoken and can, com- communi- can communicate on a heart level. And some parents just don't quite get it. So I really try to keep it organic so that it's more genuine from the parent to the child more than it being prescriptive like the games were. So it, it's been variable. The, the family has your backstory is a relatively new component to the core attachment therapy process. And again, it really is based on the, how emotionally available the parent can articulate his or her feelings to the child's back. But for those who are really attuned to one another, as this process helps the families be attuned, it's also not the, parent, the child being attuned, but it's the parents being attuned to. So they're all evolving in this attachment process, um, how articulate the parents can be. And you just see the, the glow on these kids' faces.
1: Oh, so nice. Yeah. Well, Dorothy, this has been fascinating and I am eager to continue our conversation for part two of this that we'll release next week because there's quite a bit more I'd like to dissect, so to speak, about the model and chat with you about. So thank you for today. Welcome. It's been my pleasure. Believe
2: me, it has been.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchatik.org or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.